So we continue our summer sermon series. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. You need to know that we've been engaging in a conversation all summer, um, a conversation uh, with the headline, A Sacred Ordinary Life. We've been uh, exploring together how all facets of our lives um, are indeed holy and sacred, even uh, losing keys. I gotta tell you, I love it when our children stand up and call us to worship and say, even when we lose our keys, because I blame my kids for moving my keys around the house all the time. So I'm grateful uh, that those moments can remind us that we are often lost and we wanna be found. This morning, we're gonna explore um, the sacredness, the holiness of work. And so we're going to turn to Exodus, into the third chapter of Exodus, when God calls someone to a new way of life when that person is at work. So listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day from the third chapter of Exodus. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, who was the priest of Midian. He led his uh, flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. Moses looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and, at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, come, and I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should? Go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this very mountain. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Remind us, O God, that you hover here. You hover here just as you hovered over the waters of creation. So reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words that they would be your word to us here and now. 
and breathe new life into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. So I got my first job when I was 15 years old. It was a part-time job, of course. In fact, it was a, a summer job. The hours were as needed. One of my buddies on the baseball team, his uh, parents had several hay fields, and they would call a crew of us on Saturday mornings to go haul hay. We were paid $6 an hour cash. And since we're in Texas, and you'll want to know, uh, we hauled 50-pound bales of hay. We were uh, invited to choose. We could either choose to stand on the flatbed behind the tractor that baled the hay, or we could go into the barn and stack the hay as high as we possibly could. Uh, the, the pro to being on the back of the trailer was, while you didn't have any shade, you at least had some air that was moving around you. The problem with being in the barn was you didn't have any air that would move, even though you had a bunch of shade. A full day of hauling hay, a full day of hauling hay would net me just under $50 and a drink of my choice at the gas station on the way home, which was usually an orange Gatorade that was ice cold. I got to tell you, looking back on it, I think that those were the hardest $48 that I've ever made in my life. If I would have known then what I know now, I would have been a babysitter in the park cities and made $48 in a couple hours. <laughs> and I would have drank the Gatorade out of their refrigerator. That first, kinda, that first job began a string of all kinds of jobs for me. From working in a shoe store, to then a family office, a law firm, a summer camp, and then uh, numerous churches. I gotta tell you, uh, none of those jobs are what you would call a, a, a vocation in the traditional sense. And yet there were people that I worked around all the time that, that worked in these settings full time. They spent their lives working as a, a clerks and, and lawyers and secretaries and directors and so on. Was that their vocation? Uh, a different way to ask. Was that what they were made to do, created for, called to? I can remember uh, being a teenager and I was introduced to the theologian Frederick Buechner, a youth advisor at my church gave me his book entitled, Now and Then. I remember I read that entire book in one sitting on a Saturday afternoon on the screened-in porch of my parents' home. It was like tasting water for the first time. I couldn't get a, enough of it. I went on to read every book that Frederick Buechner wrote in the next three months. And yes, at the time, I thought this was completely normal behavior for a 16-year-old. I should have known then that I would end up in the ministry. Beekner's take on vocation gets quoted often. 
Finkner says that vocation is where your deepest joy and the world's greatest need, where they collide, where your greatest joy and the world's greatest need, where they meet. I've used Beekner's words uh, to help guide people who are discerning a call in their lives. I've turned to those words uh, for discernment in my own life. And I continue to turn to them because they suggest that our lives have a, a deeper purpose, a greater meaning than we could ever imagine. That our lives are literally made for something. Who doesn't hunger for that type of fulfillment? I don't know, I think sometimes we often think, uh, we think of vocation as the one thing we are called to do for our entire lives. And yet I suspect, like you, I look back over my life and I could never have imagined my life taking the shape and the form that it has taken. I mean, if you would have told me when I was 16 years old in South Carolina that I would be standing in this pulpit in Dallas, Texas this morning as your senior pastor, I would have looked at you like you were off. <laughs> that thought would have been as foreign to me as going to France for the summer. And yet there have been thousands of moments. There have been thousands of moments that have led us to this very moment Thousands of moments that have led us to this sanctuary this morning. Thousands of what we would consider tiny moments that have led us to a life that we could have never arrived at on our own. Could you have imagined being here, sitting in this sanctuary, sitting next to who you're sitting next to this morning when you were 16? In our passage this morning, uh, Moses could have never imagined the life that God was leading him toward. Moses was in hiding, in fact. He was in hiding in Midian after killing an Egyptian man. Moses fled to Midian, which is uh, 265 miles southeast of Egypt. Moses fled because he was in fear of the execution that awaited him back in Egypt. But Moses has built a life in Midian now. He's married a local priest daughter. He has a family and is, has a livelihood that is based on tending his father-in-law's sheep. Moses is going about uh, his daily work when he's encountered by the holy in a burning bush. The burning uh, bush is God calling Moses to make an external change in his life. God is calling Moses to leave his life in Midian, to go back to Egypt and lead God's people out of slavery. Moses is being called to a, a different life, a new way of being, a life beyond all that he could have ever imagined. Moses is a murderer hiding out in Egypt watching over his father-in-law Jethro's sheep, and God wants him to lead God's people out of slavery. Talk about a job transfer. But before Moses is able to make an external change in his life, Moses has to make an internal change. Moses uh, has to wrestle with all the voices 
in his head as to why he is not qualified. He has to wrestle with all the ways that he feels inadequate. He has to wrestle with all the ways that he feels like he doesn't measure up. All the places that he doesn't feel like he is capable of doing what God has called him to do. Moses goes 12 rounds with God. And each time, God assures Moses that he's capable. God, you know, I, I, I can't speak that well. I have a stutter. Moses, you are enough. God, I can't. Who am I to go back to Pharaoh? What if I walk in there and they lead me to my death? Moses, you're capable. God, I can't. Suppose they don't believe me. Moses, I'm going to be there to help you. As I've been wrestling with the text this week, it seems to me that these internal changes for Moses are more important than the external change that Moses is called to. Moses had to let go of his fear. Moses had to let go of his sense of inadequacy. Moses has to trust that through the power of God that he is enough. The internal changes, the tiny changes led Moses to one giant external change that led him to a different way of life, to a different way of being in the world. I think that Moses and his experience through the burning bush helped him to understand that vocation was first rooted in his identity. His vocation was first rooted in his identity as belonging first and foremost to God. Moses came to see that his life, all parts of his life, belonged to God. Moses came to see that there was actually no separation between Moses' faith life and Moses' work life. There was no difference between Moses' personal life and Moses' faith in God. Moses was at work when God called him. And even though the type of work that he was called to did change, Moses found his place in God's family. He found through God's power he was enough. Which leads me to wonder, what if vocation is less about what we do? What if vocation is, is much less about what we do and more about how we go about doing whatever it is that we do. What if uh, vocation is first about understanding that our identity, our lives, are first rooted in God, and then all parts of our lives are places for us to live out our faith? What if vocation is about understanding that we, in fact, do not have a church life and a work life? That we actually don't have a, a, a personal life and a faith life. What if we understand, understood vocation is the invitation to live out our identity in Christ in all places in our life? What if we understood vocation in this way? That our identity as, as people of God, as children of God, that that identity shines through all that we do. 
how we parent, how we work, how we are a spouse or a partner, how we are a friend. You see, my dear friends, when we come to see our lives this way, we come to see that God, in fact, does work through us in all facets of our lives. And that call has been hardwired in each and every one of us because God has created us and claimed us and called us good and children of the covenant. That's the promises that we're about to affirm right here in baptism in two minutes. You see, when we live out of that identity, I believe that we get a glimpse of, of, of the holy in the midst of the ordinary. We come to see our lives and the lives of others as sacred. Miss Lucille uh, was the receptionist at Olivia's preschool in Atlanta. But you need to know that Miss Lucille was uh, not just the receptionist. Even though uh, it had her name right there, Lucille, and it had receptionist right underneath it. Lucille was uh, the greeter. She was uh, the chaplain. She was the therapist. She was uh, what some leadership books are now calling the culture setter of the entire preschool. You see, every single morning, Miss Lucille would stand at the front desk of that preschool and she would greet every parent and every child by name. Good morning, Olivia Mead. How are we doing this Tuesday? You know it's going to be a great Tuesday, Miss Olivia. You're going to have a good day. You're going to have a good time today. You know your teachers cannot wait to see you. And remember this, Olivia, you're a blessing. Good morning, Isabella. We feeling better? I know yesterday our tummy hurt, but don't worry. We're not going to serve that for lunch ever again. You're going to have a great day. Did you pick out those shoes? Your teachers are never going to be able to, to chase you down in those shoes. I bet you're the fastest kid in the whole school when you wear those shoes. I used to love hearing Miss Lucille greet people. Though I got to tell you, uh, I loved hearing Miss Lucille greet high-strung, first-time parents, <laughs> like me. <laughs> Good morning, Dad. I know yesterday was tough. I could see it written all over your face when you walked out of here, but you need to know this. Today's going to be better. Don't you worry about a thing. You're going to be fine today. You need to know that she's going to be safe. Don't you worry about her. If we need you, we'll call you. I know she's your first, but you need to remember this. We love her. She loves us. So you go on, have a really good day, and you don't worry about us here. Miss Lucille was not just the receptionist. Miss Lucille lived out of a, a deeper identity than her job title. Miss Lucille saw every person who walked in those doors as a beloved child of God. And she greeted every single one of us like we belonged to her. I have to say, Miss Lucille radiated the love of God. You could feel it. It was palpable as soon as you walked in the door. You can feel it. 
When you encounter someone who is living out of a deeper identity, someone who is living out of their faith in every moment, do you know that you have that opportunity? Each and every one of us have that opportunity every day and every moment of our lives. The invitation is the same. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO or a, or a teacher. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a lawyer or a minister or a receptionist. It doesn't matter if you're a banker or you're in sales. The invitation is the same. Because every type of work can be a vocation when it is done to the glory of God. When our hearts are open to God's presence in our everyday encounters, every type of work can spread God's light and goodness in the world. Our work can do that by the grace of God when we remember who we are and whose we are and live out of that identity. But it can be scary to do that. It can be scary to let your guard down. We can be like Moses. We may have some questions. But I want you to remember your fear and your questions are not too big for God. So the question for us this day is this, what internal change do we need to make today? What internal voice do you need to address and take up with God? As you prepare to answer these questions in your life this week, you should also be prepared to take off your shoes because in answering these questions, you will come to see your entire life, even your work, as holy and sacred ground. So in the words of Miss Lucille, have a great Sunday. You're gonna have a great day. Go to lunch with your family, call your mama, and hug those kids so, so tight. And say your prayers before you go to bed. Amen. Friends, having heard the word read and proclaimed, we are invited to respond. So I invite you to rise either in body or in spirit and join me in the affirmation of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. 
seated. Friends, as we prepare to pray as one voice for our church and our community and our world, I would invite you to take note of those joys and concerns that are listed on the back page of your worship bulletin, that you might remember those members and friends in your prayers in the days and weeks ahead. We also do invite you following worship to head through the doors to your left and stop by the tables that are underneath the windows just outside the door. Those tables have care letters for those in this community who are experiencing joys or concerns, and we invite you to sign those letters, whether you know those individuals or not, that your signature would be a word of hope and encouragement to them at this time in their lives. We do have some joys just to lift up this morning. We give thanks for our mission team in Puerto Rico. They return this evening and are grateful for all of their good work. As you leave worship today, you are also invited to stop by the photo wall, which has photos of all the things that have been happening in our ministry this summer, as well as places that you have found the sacred in the midst of the ordinary, including photos um, from the mission team of their recent week. And so we give thanks for their work. We also celebrate this morning with all of those families who are presenting their children for baptism and give thanks for you and for this moment in your lives. Friends, let us go before a loving God in prayer this day. Let us pray. God of the burning bush, we are indeed standing on holy ground. For you roused us from sleep this morning with the gift of a new day. You called us together today to worship, and you will send us out from here to participate in your kingdom work. On this Sabbath day, as we rest from the labors of life, we give you thanks for the abilities that you have granted each of us to love and to serve and to follow you. As we celebrate the good work that you give each of us to do, we remember and lift up to you this day all who long to work, but who cannot find a job. Remember and pray for any who desire to work more than they are currently able, and ask God that you would fill them with encouragement and hope for the future. God, we remember that you met Moses in the wilderness, and so ask that you would walk alongside all of those whose work life is in transition, from school to office, from career to retirement, and any who are in search of your calling. God, guide them forward into new places where their gifts are lived in new ways for your sake. Loving Lord, speak peace to any who are afraid to stop working. And comfort all of those who work too much for too little. We thank you for the labor of all those who choose to work without pay and any who have labored the journey with you and who are at the end of their life's work. God, our parent, we lift up to you with thanksgiving all those who do the hard work of parenting. And remember in particular these days all those families who are presenting their children for baptism. Surround them with your presence and grant them wisdom and patience to teach your love with their whole lives, that their children would continue to know of your great love for them. We also lift up to you this day, O oh God, all those who need daily healthy food and clean water and shelter and whose needs go unmet. We offer thanks and praise this day for those who do the work and partnership of mission and give particular thanks for our friends and partners in Puerto Rico. 
God, in the midst of pressures and boredoms of daily living, remind us again that you give each of us a call. A call to be your child. To follow your son, Jesus Christ, to allow the Holy Spirit to blow through our lives, empowering us to tell the world of your marvelous deed, to keep your commandments, to love you and to love our neighbors, and to proclaim your good news wherever we are. Loving God, as we go forth from worship this day, open our eyes to your kingdom all around us. Hover especially close to any people or places who have deep need of you. And we pause in silence as we lift up to you those names who remain on our hearts this day. 